Resilient Disciples Podcast, powered by Awana. I'm your host, Ross Cochran. Thank you for listening. This is part two of an initial two-part conversation between Samuel Porche, Matt Markins, and myself. If you're just joining us now, I would implore you to go listen to part one, as I believe that Samuel and Matt not only help make sense of how we arrived in this moment of so much pain, but begin to lay out a path and their perspectives on where we go from here. Part two, today's episode is all about that. If you, like me, are trying to make sense of this moment for yourself and figure out how to disciple your children through experiences like this, we hope that this podcast helps start that conversation, give, provide inspiration and practical things for you to be able to apply to your local context. Thank you for listening. Here is episode 40 of the Resilient Disciples podcast. I want to be mindful of not moving past this moment we're in, um, a moment of lamenting a moment of grief. And I think, Sam, you touched on this in the conversation around your children, a moment where we need to be able to feel the full emotions of this if we're really going to change. Um, having said that, uh, in Resilient, Matt, you, the book you guys talk about, uh, the men of Issachar, and I feel like both of you understand the times and know what to do to a certain extent. And when we started this, what people are going to hear in part one of this conversation is you guys sort of diagnosing this moment on how we arrived here, how we got here. (laughs) But I want to ask sort of the opposite of that question, which is where do we go from here? In light of not only this particular incident, the murder of George Floyd, but the awareness that we are in in this moment of the just hundreds of years of oppression, Mm. how do we begin to move forward, where do we go? Um, Matt, I would actually, I would want to start with you here on what do you see as the future, not only into the church of 2050, but 2080, 2090 and beyond. How do we get there? So, so to me, the, the Christian worldview satisfies my deepest questions and longings. You know, the, the unfortunate thing about secularism is that secularism has no central creed and secularism keeps dividing within itself. There, there is no unity and agreement on the ideology of secularism, which is why it, it, it continues to break down and will continue to break down. But our faith comes from the scriptures. And we see in the scriptures that the greatest of these is love. And where do we see love most Uh, clearly, where do we see the clearest picture of love? And we see it in the life of Jesus. And here in a minute, I think Samuel is going to break down what some of that looks like. But uh, the most simplistic verse that we all know, we're all taught it as children, Mm. you know, about this is John 3, 16. Mm. That for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Imagine that he gave it all, right? He gave his only son. So that whoever believes in him, Mm. they're not going to perish, but they're going to receive eternal life. That that is the picture of love, a loving father who loves so much that he didn't take away. He gave. 
he gave it all. Mm-hmm. So we see, we see a lot there. We see uh, a father and a son who are both in the posture of mm-hmm. humility uh, when they didn't have to be. And they love so much that they, that they gave it all. And so it, what is this world crying out for? It's, it's crying out for that type of love. And, and we find that in Jesus. Amen. I, <laughs> there's a, uh, Sam, I think you said this in, in the initial conversation where I think people think, oh, I need to have all the answers. I need to be able to have all of this moment. I need to be able to know the exact right words to say. And I love that cry, Matt, that it's just, where you go from here is we just start loving. Yeah. In the book you call radical love, right? Like, yeah. Samuel, how do we get where we want to be as a future of the church? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, um, not that I even think, I know that God works from the inside out. Um, Jesus said it best. He said, um, starting Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the earth. So I believe it starts for every believer in their home, then your neighbors, your block, your community, um, and then it goes to your state and nationwide as we ex- expand God's kingdom out. So it starts with us as individuals. And I think it's all about our vertical relationship with the Lord. And it plays out in all everything we do and say on a daily basis. Um, and it's spiritual warfare. So there is a constant battle between your flesh and your spirit, man. And I would say that one of the ways for the church to be healthier in the future and to be more impactful and more influential is to be able to recognize these barriers in each and every one of us and overcome them. And one of them is just self-centeredness. Um, we are self-centered. The Bible tells us that people who are self-centered aren't able to please God. And I think sometimes um, once we learn scripture, once we know we go to church and we feel like we've checked off that, um, that activity in, on the box that we needed to do on Sunday, do, are we really still operating in selflessness? Um, are we self-centered? Self-centeredness is a sin because it leads, us, leads to being devoted to self-gratification and overlooking other people's needs. And that is at the root of some of the problems that has happened here in America and particularly speaking to the church why we have turned a blind eye. So self-centeredness is rooted in a fleshly desire to please self more than God. And it's just that simple. And it's something, it's an obstacle. It's an obstacle to the church being able to break through as powerfully as we should. Um, And so, and it's natural to look out for one's own interests, but Jesus said, um, how do you put it in the, in the same way that you naturally love yourself, learn to love others he said, love your neighbor. The second command, love your neighbor as yourself. And we don't do that. Well, I, I know I have been guilty of it. And I've also seen it in the church, um, the guilt of that. And so we all have a tendency towards self-centeredness, but we are still, it says, I think it's first John four thirteen that though we are still in the flesh, believers in Christ have God's spirit residing within. But if it resides within and we don't allow it to come out of us, especially during times like this, hard times, um, the question is, which, which one will we allow to have control over our lives, the flesh or the spirit? And so self-centered attitudes destroy relationships, but selflessness is the antidote um, to being, bring, being others-centered. And that's what the church should be. We should be others-centered. Um, I think another obstacle is pride. 
Um, pride often leads to a critical and judgmental attitude. Um, it makes you look at people as less than. It makes you look at people that um, I'm superior to you. Um, um, pride, it says pride goes before destruction. It, it describes the consequences of having pride. And I believe we're having a lot of things that are happening now because of pride, the spirit of pride. Pride will destroy a person. Um, and pride destroys relationships. And we, but the antidote to that would be humility. It builds healthy relationships. And I believe sometimes we forget that relationships is the core, our relationship with Christ, our relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is the central, most important thing as a believer. And if we are still operating in self-centeredness, pride, and some of those different characteristics that we allow to lead us rather than um, filter it through Christ so that we can get, uh, get that unwant, unwanted spirit out of us, um, we, we don't, we're not as effective as, as we should be. And you don't see the church healthy and powerful. And this comes back to disciple making. What kind of disciples are we making if we're operating it under those characteristics? So um, I think pride destroys relationships, but humility, being humble, putting people, others before you, it will build, build relationships. And these are pillars that we must hang our hope on. And this is a part of our identity in Christ. And I think we do forget this in the body. Um, another one would be insecurity. Uh, insecurity is uncertainty. It's anxiety. It's, it's sometimes a lack of confidence. Um, it's, it can be the state of being open to danger or threat. Um, you don't feel protected. And these are feelings that are going running rampant through the church. Um, white, black, Hispanic, it's running rampant through the church. And I believe that love is the answer to the antidote for insecurity. Um, where's my scripture? It says, 1 John 4, 18, love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. So if we are afraid, it shows that his love has not been perfected in us. He said he did not give us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So um, we still got a ways to go. In our own strength, we cannot love, but we can love with God's love. So insecurity destroys relationships, but genuine love, it will build relationships. And then the fourth obstacle, I believe, that um, is resentment. Resentment is self-defeating. There are a lot of things people resent, and we never get closure on it. We never heal from it, but um, we are kingdom citizens and Christ's representatives on the earth. And when you become resentful, you stop thinking clearly. Your logic goes out the door. You don't even think rationally. And I think that aids and, and lends itself to turning a blind, uh, blind eye to the injustice that we see happening that has brought us to this point in this nation today. So we, we have to remember resentment. It doesn't hurt the other person. It only hurts you. And in the church, it stopped us from looking at situations clearly. Um, and so we can't afford to allow resentment to eat away at our souls like cancer. We just can't. We will be ineffective. We will not be able to speak into things effectively. Um, just as we are in this situation now as a nation, what voice will the church speak out of? Will they speak out of a place of resentment instead of forgiveness? Will we be speaking out of, out of a place of insecurity rather than love? Will we be speaking out of a voice of pride over humility? Will we, be, will we be speaking for a place of self-centeredness instead of selflessness? And this is some hard questions as individual believers that we must filter through and, and, and self-examine ourselves and, and before we can even become leaders to disciple children. Mm -hmm. Because 
we're passing some things on that we shouldn't be passing on. And if we were honest with ourselves, we really are. So the antidote to resentment is forgiveness. Forgiveness, it builds healthy relationships. Forgiveness is a gift from the Lord. You can only forgive someone who has hurt you and caused you pain with the help of the Lord. So as Christ followers, we want to be the leaders in building healthy relationships because as, John, as Matt said, John 3.16 is a perfect example of who, who we are supposed to be. Um, God gave his only begotten son because he loved us. He loved us. And we are supposed to identify with Christ and be shaped into his image. So we must love. We must overcome selfish attitudes with selflessness, overcome pride with humility, overcome insecurity with love, and overcome resentment with forgiveness. And it's a challenge to the body of Christ, and it's a, it's a, it, it challenges your tradition, how you were raised, what you've always been taught, but we must have breakthrough. We must have a paradigm shift and change of a mindset in order for us to be able to make resilient disciples in 2050 and on that will be able to expand God's kingdom and, and be anchored in Christ and not fearful and able to not be distracted by all the voices and everything that they'll be up against because it will be even harder then than it is now. Mm. <laughs> Man, that's just, that's so convicting. Being a disciple uh, is hard work. And being a disciple maker is hard work, but uh, you're going to be a slave to something. You know, Paul talks about being a slave to Christ. Mm. Uh, and the reality is, apart from Christ, we're already a slave uh, to our sin. And mm. if Christ is love, and the ways of Christ are selflessness and humility and love and forgiveness, which Samuel's already walked us through, uh, those are the attractive qualities that the world is drawn to you know, name any major epic story or fairy tale in our culture and the the hero is not a selfless or a selfish jerk you know <laughs> the hero is a selfless humble person who probably gives up a lot a great sacrifice to love to love someone else well guess what that's easy and fun and delightful to read in a, in a story, in a fairy tale, but it's really hard to live out. But it's also the best way. It's also the most rewarding pathway, and it's uphill all the way. But to do it together, locking arm in arm in a community, uh, and to not be alone in that, that that's, that's the real work of, of dis being a disciple mm -hmm. and also making uh, disciples of, of other people. So it, it, I'd say that this is the best pathway. It's also a really hard, really difficult pathway and extremely rewarding. Amen. Um, there's two places that I want to go before we wrap this conversation up. We started the conversation, Samuel, by introduce you know you had been on this podcast once before but introducing um a newer role and a newer ministry context to you um to our listeners and to the larger awana audience but can you guys just let folks know what this ministry looks like why we are investing in it like we are because i think this conversation requires all of us to be leaning in like samuel has said all of us um to be doing the work. What is this uh, Child Deception Network? Can you help people understand this better? As our, as our listeners can tell already, Samuel is an awesome, delightful guy. And he was recently uh, promoted to the director of Chicago uh, Child Discipleship Network. And I think you can see why with his articulate 
nature's ability to cast vision and his passion. Um, but to put that in context, uh, for our listeners who may not know this, Awana is a global nonprofit ministry in 122 countries that is about 4.9 million children each week in about 65,000 churches. So the global, the global scale of our impact is pretty significant, but Awana's history has, has not been focused on engaging uh, children in urban content. I mean, there, that has been a part of what we do, but it's not been a strategic focus. And so our leadership decided a couple of years ago, this is an area that we've, we've just got to prioritize. And so thanks to some of our generous donor partners who are making this possible, we've partnered together with a group of people to uh, go into the south side of Chicago and come alongside of churches, church leaders, uh, and child and student influencers and really understand what their needs are to come alongside them, help them reach kids with the gospel and engage them in the side. So we're hugely thankful for our donor partners for making we're, we're also extremely filled, we're filled with extreme gratitude that, that God brought Samuel to us a few years ago and that he's been moved into this role. But Samuel unpack a little more details uh, around what we're going to be doing in the years ahead. Yeah. Um, thank you, Matt. Um, yeah, I'm super excited about this opportunity. Um, Matt laid out the legacy of Awana and, um, you know, so beautifully said, you know, this is an area where um, Awana being in um, urban communities has not been um, the norm. And so when I first came to Awana in 2016, I saw this awesome curriculum and I was just like, wow, I've never heard of that. I grew up in the urban city in northern New Jersey, Passaic, New Jersey, right outside of New York City. And I've never heard of Awana. So I was like, wow. So I'm asking around and nobody's heard of it in the black community. And I'm just like, okay, we need this in the black community. And you know, I, I, am, I am just all about God's kingdom and God's kingdom is no one particular race or ethnicity. And so I was like, wow, what would it look like if Awana would move into these areas and, and, and to the urban community and they, and partner with these churches and these organizations and um, just be another, um, another bridge to some gaps that we know are prevalent in, in society. We know it. It's not like we don't know it. So I definitely am excited about the opportunity to spearhead these relationships and partnerships with organizations, churches, pastors in the community of the South Side of Chicago so that we can um, help raise resilient disciples. And the churches there are doing awesome and amazing jobs. But how many of us know that we could always use more prayer and we could always use more partners? It's just what it is. And it's also changing the perception correction. A lot of times um, the African-American church doesn't think that this organization is for them because this organization is white or this white organization doesn't feel that they could work with this African-American um, organization and we got to break down those barriers we got to break down those obstacles and um this is just the beginning of a beautiful relationship um with the south side of chicago because we cannot allow obstacles be in the way of expanding god's kingdom and making resilient children disciples and a lot of times we go back to those four obstacles that matt and i spoke about that stop us from being all we are called to be as the church self-centeredness biases you know pride, you know, all of those things, resentment, and, you know, we harbor these, and we harden our hearts, and 
I could easily say God is not pleased at that because that is not how he wants the church to function and the church is us. So being able to break this perception correction, going into the South side of Chicago for churches that um, I will be speaking to, being able to have those conversations, listen and learn and um, see how we can be a partner with them, be a partner with them to expand God's kingdom and make resilient disciples. Um, 2050 is coming up really fast and we want our children to be ready. White, black, Hispanic, whoever, we want our children to be ready. We want our children to be ready to fight the good fight. And so um, it's important that we cross these racial barriers, that we stop having communities segregated, that we lock arms with one another and be ready to work with one another for the glory of God. And that's really what this is, it's working for the glory of God from suburb to urban to rural. It's all the kingdom and it's about territory. How many of us know the kingdom is about territory? And if we don't start locking arms with one another, we give Satan a foothold in areas he shouldn't have or he shouldn't be occupying. So I'm excited about it. I am. I want to. I want to agree with. Uh, I want to agree with Samuel. And really underscore something he said. Uh, Awana could not be in 122 countries and 65,000 churches if we were not flexible and adaptable and work with local uh, congregations to contextualize to meet their local needs. Uh, that, that has not been our uh, legacy up until the past decade. That was not our legacy here in the United States. But 10 years ago, we did make a strategic shift but not everyone knows about that strategic shift. And then on top of that, we had a leadership change here in 2016. And a part of that, uh, now we're four years into that, a part of that strategic shift is working alongside of different churches here in the U.S. that we've not always engaged well. Mm-hmm. And so we've acknowledged, we didn't do great at that. We, matter of fact, in times we really fumbled the ball and did really poorly at that. But this is a new day. So what we're not doing is bringing our thing into different communities. We're coming alongside of them saying, hey, here's our legacy. Here's what we do well. Here are, here are some areas where we, we have some strength. Are any of these areas of value to you? Can they help your community? And how can we also learn from you? And together, let's collaborate and let's build solutions that are effective for your community to reach kids with the gospel and to help them grow as disciples. And I think Samuel's going to do a phenomenal job of gathering people, casting that vision, doing a ton of listening, and helping lead us forward as a community. And what a joy to be able to engage in this work with children, to engage in this work with the generation, because I think about the long game, right? I think about the Church 2050, and it requires relational investment now in who will be those leaders for a church that looks more like God's ultimate intention for the church. So Samuel, I'm thinking about the person who is still here. The person who's still listening to this episode, you are someone who genuinely cares about this issue um, and are probably looking for ways to help and next steps. But Samuel, when I think about the conversation around the church, I don't think it's us saying, hey, you should do this next. Like, I think it's about a challenge. It's about getting the church to meet the moment that we're in as a, as a society and to take its rightful place as a leading mm-hmm. church has taken such a back seat to moments like this, that I think it's contributed to yeah. the crumbling of society um, in a, to speak a little, a little bit hyperbolically, but not as much as I wish I was. So Samuel, 
what would what's your challenge to the church in this moment? I am such a self-examining Christian. I, I truly believe it starts with you, the individual. And the first thing that I would challenge any believer, um, and if this is not for you, then it's not, is repent. Repent. True repentance is turning away and going in a different direction. And only you as a believer will know what's in your heart. Only you know the conviction you have. Only you know the opportunities you've missed to bless. Only you know the times you've turned a blind eye to injustice. Only you know the times that you said no when you should have said yes. The doctrine of repentance as taught in the Bible is a call to persons to make a radical turn from one way of life to another. And if that's you, that's where you need to begin. We tend to not like to self-examine ourselves because it's painful. Um, you have to see yourself as I failed, I fell, I missed, I, I didn't do live up to who I was called to be. But we serve a God that forgives. And the power of forgiveness is for yourself. So forgive yourself and repent and turn away and, and go in a different direction and challenge yourself that the next time I hear someone tell a joke that I know is not a joke, building and encouraging, I will stand up for the justice. I will stop being silent because silence is agreement and silence comes from being fearful. If silence comes from fearing that God will not provide provision if you say something and lose your job. Fear and fearfulness can come from, um, I don't want to offend this relationship or damage this relationship, so I'll allow this to go past. We have to repent. We have to look deep into ourselves and say, you know what, I don't, that's not who I am. That's not the identity of Christ. So that would be my first challenge to the church and to the body of Christ, because it is a daily battle and it's something that we constantly need to keep at the forefront of our relationship in Christ is repenting and turning away and going in a different direction when we know what we're doing, what we're saying, and what we're thinking is not glorifying God. Um, challenge number two would be James chapter one, verse uh, one through 10. It actually starts at verse two. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. We have not matured in that area. When troubles come our way, we do not consider it an opportunity for great joy. So we lose rather than learning. So we don't learn from it. We lose and we allow it to put us in a space that, uh, that makes us less effective as a believer because we don't look at it correctly. We look at the glass as being half empty instead of half full. Then it says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect. You will be complete, needing nothing. And if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God and God alone. You won't waver. You won't be a person with divided loyalty and you won't be tossed by the wind to and fro. And so that would be my second challenge. How are you seeing your trials and temptations? How are you dealing with your, 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 your um, 
when, when you're being challenged and going through a hard time, are you considering it to be an opportunity for great joy? These two challenges are, are anchors mm -hmm. to keeping us focused on who Christ called us to be. And as leaders, when we are a part of influencing and impacting the next generation, we must be able to convey that and exude that out of us to show them that you count this as an opportunity for great joy. Even though you're going through something, we serve a God that delivers. We serve a God that redeems. We serve a God that forgives. We serve a God that will bring waters into your dry land. And so when we forget that, we don't look at it as an opportunity for great joy and we lose from trials and tribulations rather than learning, growing, enduring, and becoming mature, perfect, and complete and fully developed. So uh, Ross, I would say that is my main two challenges for the church. Um, and it starts with the individual because you are the church as the person. And I believe that's the charge and the clarion call. And if each of us as individuals will, will hang our hats on constantly repenting when we have um, fell short of who we know God called us to be and, and not only repent, but make it an action step to go in a different direction. And when we challenge ourselves to consider any trial or tribulation an opportunity for great joy, knowing that this stretching and this uncomfortableness is growing us um, and our faith is being tested so that we can have a chance to grow. When we remember that and we start acting that out in the church, individual by individual, and then collectively bring that together, my God, the power that the church will be operating under. The Resilient Disciples Podcast is powered by Awana. Awana is a global nonprofit organization dedicated to equipping leaders to reach kids with the gospel and engage them in lifelong discipleship. Awana is fueled by the generous support of individuals, churches, and organizations, as well as resource sales. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and go to resilientdisciples.com for more resources and many more of these conversations. The podcast is mixed, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Thanks to Kevin Orris and Phil Wallace for making the podcast happen. And thank you for listening. I'll talk to you next week.